Welcome back to the G3 Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Bice, and today's subject is going to be focused on the sovereignty of God. Oftentimes within evangelical circles or within denominational groups, you might have someone that would raise a question, how sovereign is God? Now, just the question itself is not offensive. In fact, I don't mind the question. If someone asks the question or they ask that question from me personally, as long as the question is is raised with a spirit and a heart of sincerity, if someone is really interested in learning about the sovereignty of God, I have no problem with that question. But I do have a problem with the question if it's seeking to minimize the sovereignty of God. You see, in our frail humanity, we're tempted to relegate God's sovereignty to categories that, that often don't threaten our own freedom. In other words, we like to be the captains of our own domain. We like to be in charge. But we must be very careful in the study of theology, in the study of God, because that's that's what theology is. It is the study of God. And we must be very careful to represent God's sovereignty as the Bible does over all things. So I want to begin by reading uh, just a portion of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, from chapter 5, paragraph 1, as we think about the subject of the sovereignty of God. Listen to these words. God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and things, from the greatest to the least, by his perfectly wise and holy providence to the purpose for which they were created. He governs according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will. His providence leads to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. Now, that paragraph is a great summary to help us think properly and within proper categories about the sovereignty of God. We must come to understand that God is sovereign over everything, And we don't serve some dethroned deity who is weak and who needs to Google to find out what's happening or what the current events are in our culture. God is sovereign over everything. He's not a weak God. He's not an impotent God. He's not a sleepy deity who's up there merely looking for the answers to figure out how to govern the events and the the happenings of our present culture. He's sovereign over everything. And as we read the Bible, we find that that is absolutely true. In fact, the more that we study the Bible, the more that we see that God is sovereign over everything. And the more that we read the Bible and look at ourselves and consider our own weakness, we realize how little control we have over anything in this life. I mean, sure, we make decisions on a regular basis. We make decisions on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. But have you stopped recently to consider how how little you have control over in this life? I mean, just take, for instance, your own existence. Uh, what, did, did you somehow decide to be born? Did you have any control over the location in which you were born? Did you have any control over the, the time period in history in which you were born? Some people might think that they're living in a in a strange world. They feel like they They're an old soul, maybe. They should have been born years earlier. Maybe you have others that think that, you know, they should have been born later in time, in a more modern age. But how much control did you have over your birth? What about your parents? What about your grandparents? 
What about your ethnicity? The color of your skin? Did you have any control over that? You see, we didn't have control over these things because we're not God. And God is in control of all of these things. It was R.C. Sproul years ago describing uh, his time within the seminary classroom, asking questions that would uh, prompt answers from students. And he once said the following. He said, in my classes in the seminary, I raise questions like, quote, is God in control of every single molecule in the universe? Question mark. When I raise that question, he said, I say, quote, the answer to that question will not determine whether you are a Christian or a Muslim, a Calvinist, or an Arminian, but it will determine whether you are a theist or an atheist, end quote. That was a fantastic statement by Dr. Sproul as he would make it very clear that this is not just about an Arminian versus Calvinist debate here. This is something far larger than that. Do you not see that the Bible places God at the top rung in the ladder? He is in control of everything. When you think about history, either history is the product of random events that are just bouncing along in the the expanse of the universe, or they're ordered in a specific way for a specific purpose. The Bible is clear that God is actually ordering all things. In fact, it was A.W. Pink that once stated, quote, the sovereignty of God is the foundation of all Christian theology, the center of gravity in the system of Christian truth. It is the sun around which all the other planets circle. God is God, not merely in name, but in reality, end quote. We find that the Bible tells us that God is sovereign. In Daniel 4.35, we find the words of God's sovereignty. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Question mark. So it's very clear, even the Old Testament prophets were revealing this God who is sovereign. In Isaiah chapter 46, we see similar language. In verses 9 and 10, the prophet writes, Remember the former things of of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, end quote. It is very clear that God is sovereign over everything. He is sovereign over nature. Genesis 1-1 begins with this idea, this truth, that God is the one who is responsible for all of creation. So he's, he's sovereign over nature. Psalm 135, verse 6, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Notice that. He controls everything. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, Jesus, in his earthly ministry in human flesh, was very God of very God. And it was clear that even in his earthly ministry, that he possessed the power of deity over creation, over 
the, the winds, over the waves, over nature. In fact, you, you see demons actually fear Jesus. In Matthew 8, 29, it says, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before time or before the time? So the, the, the fact is they recognized that he was indeed the one to whom they must answer. As we, as we look all throughout the Bible, we see that God is sovereign over nations. He causes nations to rise and he causes nations to fall. Job 12, 23, he makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. God is sovereign over random events. Proverbs 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. I mean, something as random as just being selected by lot is not happenstance. It's not coincidence. It's not luck. It is actually beneath the sovereign rule and the governing providence of God. God is sovereign over kings and rulers. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he will. God is sovereign over kings and queens and presidents and rulers, dictators and despots. He's sovereign over everything. We see this in the, in the Exodus story with Pharaoh and Moses, and we see that God is leading his people away from Egypt. And even when you have a powerful, wicked king, you find that God is sovereign even over him. He's sovereign over suffering. He's, he's sovereign over the people who suffer the place in, in which they suffer, how severe their suffering will be. God is sovereign over it all. God is sovereign over the decisions of people. I mean, even in Proverbs 19.21, it says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. In, in Psalm 37.23, we find this language, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. So, I mean, the steps of people are ordered by the Lord. And even in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once. So God appoints the day that we die. He, uh, he's in control of when we are born, where we are born, our family heritage, our ethnicity. He's in control of our height, our eye color, our hair color, our athletic ability, our IQ. And he's He's in control of even the day in which we die. God is sovereign over everything. But you see, people within evangelical circles, they, they will tend to say, well, yes, God is sovereign over nature. He created everything. He's sovereign over the universe. He's sovereign over the planets and the stars. He's sovereign over the sun and the moon. He's sovereign over animal life. He's sovereign over all of these things, even random events. They will say, God is sovereign over these things. But... When it comes to the issue of salvation, that's oftentimes where people start to push back. God can be sovereign over everything, but he's not necessarily sovereign over salvation, right? Well, that's what they tend to, to, to believe, that God is limited in his reign of sovereignty at the very border of the human heart. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches something far different. The Bible actually teaches that we are actually in bondage to sin and that we would not want to respond to God. We would not want to come to God and that no man can actually come to God 
unless God draws him. John 6.44 teaches this. And as we, as we read the Bible, we see that God is sovereign over even the details of salvation. He's sovereign over the, the saga of salvation or the story of salvation. You see, history is really God's story. It's his story. Even as we read the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, when Luke opens up in chapter number one, and we find in, in that account of the gospel, the telling of the story, we don't see just random events taking place there in, in verses five down through verse 25. We see all sorts of things. Uh, again, it says, Luke uh, records these words. He says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Well, even there in verse five, you're seeing a reference to a time period, but we have to remember God created Herod and God established when Herod would be upon the throne. And God ordered everything to take place in such a time, in such a way that when John the Baptist was born, Herod would be upon the throne. That was not a random chance of events. God is sovereign over time. I mean, we see this even in the Psalms. In Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You see, God not only sees the days that have yet to take place as he looks into the future, but God is in control of those things. He's not limited by time. And he's not limited by geographic location and space. And so he's in control of everything. God doesn't look through time to see what will happen. God is actually the one that's in control of what does happen. In the story of salvation, even in Luke's gospel, chapter one, the opening text just reveals that God is sovereign over time. We see that in regard to Herod, but he's sovereign over the womb. Elizabeth was barren. And yet it was at the very moment in, in which God had appointed for the forerunner, the prophet who would make way the coming of the Lord, this, this great prophet that we know as John the Baptist, it was at this point in time when God opened up the womb of Elizabeth so that she would bear a son. And it says, interestingly enough, and I think that this is important for us because there are no wasted words in the Bible, it says in Luke chapter 1 verse 7 that both Elizabeth and Zechariah, her husband, were both advanced in years. Both advanced in years. So even overcoming the difficulties of being older in life, and, and her womb had not been opened, and now God says, now's the appointed time. God is sovereign over the womb. He's sovereign over the small details. I mean, when you think about it, Zechariah was one of 18,000 different prophets that would have been divided up into 24 different um, orders, and they would have only been able to serve in the temple service a couple of weeks out of the entire year. And so when it was Zechariah's time to serve with his, with his division— when you find these 24 different divisions and they're all split up into these different divisions and organized in such a way that they would serve a couple of weeks out of the year, even within that division, not everyone would be serving within the temple. So they chose the one that would be serving by lot. 
So sort of like rolling the dice. And what you see in Luke 1, chapter 8, or chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, you see it says, Now while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now we know what happened next. He goes in to serve, and in a in a faithful way, with a, a you know a, a heart that was set to serve God faithfully, he goes in to minister before the altar of incense, and suddenly there's an angel of the Lord that appears before him and communicates what's about to happen. Keep in mind, there had been 400 years of darkness, and the last of the prophets, Malachi, had given a a marvelous prophecy, but then God shuts off the lights. Darkness covered the land. No more revelation, no more prophets, no more message from God, no more light. And so for 400 years, they've been longing for the coming of the king, longing for the coming of their deliverer, longing for the coming of the Messiah. And suddenly, what would seem to be, if you're not reading life through the proper lens, just a, just a random event happens. Here's this guy, Zechariah, who's happened to be serving. This was his week to be serving with his, with his division. And suddenly, they choose by lot, and then it just happens to be, right? Just happens to be Zechariah. Wrong. It was the sovereignty of God. And so he's appointed at the very at the very moment in which God had designated that he would come into that very temple before that very altar when God would dispatch his angel Gabriel, who would actually speak directly to him. And suddenly now the 400 years of silence is broken with the words of the angel who brought the word of God. This is not just chance. This is not just luck. Don't you see? God is in control of every detail, even something as simple as being chosen by lot. He was in that very temple before that very altar on purpose. God had chosen and arranged his steps to be there that day. It was R.C. Sproul years ago who said, quote, There is no maverick molecule if God is sovereign. End quote. And so the point is, is that we, we see that the world is not governed by just a, a a long list of random things just taking place. In fact, Thomas Watson in his Body of Divinity writes the following, quote, There is no such thing as blind fate, but there is a providence that guides and governs the world. End quote. We need to consistently recognize that God is in control of everything. Just yesterday, in fact, there was a, a tornado that that came through our own community here and the, the, it, it did a little bit of damage and caused some trees to fall. And during the storm, it was uh, I was receiving text messages and phone calls from friends who were warning me about the storm. And it didn't take long to hear about some, some damage in, in our community. And sadly, there was a fatality. In fact, there was a man who is an owner-operator of a well-known local restaurant here in our community, and he just happened to be right 
in front of the post office in our community in his vehicle when the storm came through and knocked over one of the the large mature trees that landed on his vehicle with him inside and it took his life. Now, when you think about that, when you think about how sad that is, but you also have to recognize and see it through a lens of God's sovereignty. That's what we might call a divine appointment. When you think about the reality of all of the things that had to work in such an order, in such a way, to allow his vehicle to be at that very point, at that very moment when that tree fell, not 10 feet too soon did he arrive there, and he wasn't 10 feet too late arriving there. He was right on time when the tree came crashing to the ground. This is what we call the the meticulous providence and sovereignty of God. God rules over everything. He rules over His messengers, both angels and prophets. Gabriel was dispatched from the throne of God at that very moment, on that very day, so that Zechariah would hear the word of God. And it's John the Baptist who is born, and he's not born by accident. He is born on purpose. But interestingly enough, in the, in the account here in Luke's Gospel chapter 1, we find that the, the Bible tells us not only would his name be called John, but he would be great before the Lord. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1 verse 15 that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, is that an accident or is that on purpose? Well, it's on purpose. You see, God is sovereign over when prophets would be born and where they would be born and and who they would be born to, what family. But, But also, we must understand if God is sovereign in raising up the prophet, he's also sovereign in regenerating their dead heart. You see, we must not forget the reality that John the Baptist is included in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So in order for him to be raised up to be a prophet and to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, it was God who was sovereign over the salvation of John the Baptist. It wasn't John the Baptist who had free will over his salvation. It was God who had free will to save a man who was born in sin, born in bondage. God is sovereign over everything. J.C. Ryle, commenting on the fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, makes the following statement, quote, There is no greater mistake than to suppose that infants, by reason of their tender age, are incapable of being blessed by the Holy Spirit. The manner of the Holy Spirit's work in a little child's heart is undoubtedly mysterious and incomprehensible, but so also are all the deeds of the Holy Spirit on men and women. Let us beware of limiting God's power and compassion. He is a merciful God. With Him nothing is impossible." So we must ask ourselves the honest question. Is it more impressive that God would cause a child, even from his mother's womb, to be born again? Or is, it, or is it more mysterious that God would take a woman named Lydia, who was from the city of Thyatira, 
and a seller of purple goods that he would cause her heart to be opened and that he would save her. You see, the reality is, is that we're all dead in our trespasses and sins, and we would never choose God upon our own free will, because our will isn't free, it's in bondage to sin. The Bible is very clear that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not going to be able to boast before God. So we're not saved by our own merit. We're saved by God's power at an appointed time when God chooses to open our eyes so that we can see and cause the scales to fall from our eyes. You see, God is sovereign over nature and fish, and He's sovereign over wind, and He's sovereign over the waves. He's sovereign over humanity, and He's sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign. In fact, we recognize God as sovereign over salvation, right? This is why we pray for people to be saved. If we didn't believe that God was sovereign over salvation, then we wouldn't be praying, asking for God to intervene and cause them to be born again. We would simply state, God, give us the strength to go and convince people to choose you. But that's not how we pray. That's not how we pray. We must pray and we must believe and we must worship and we must engage in this life with the clear understanding that God is sovereign over everything. And so the sovereignty of God should not be something that should cause us anger. It should be something that causes us great calm. It should, it should cause our heart to be calm. It should cause us to, to have this confidence that God is in control even when we're asleep at two o'clock in the morning. God doesn't have to read the newspaper. He doesn't have to go to the internet. He doesn't have to pick up a smartphone. He doesn't have to look at his notifications on his phone to figure out what's going on. God is in control of everything. See, And sadly, people oftentimes will talk about hell as if they should fear the devil. But we, we must remember that as Martin Luther once rightly stated, is that the devil is God's devil. So it's God who's in control of hell, God who's in control of the temperature of hell and the pain of hell and the eternity of hell and the, and the desperation of hell. Even the, the keys of hell are in the hands of God. And so we need to not fear the devil. We don't need to fear random uh, events just happening. We need to fear God and we need to trust God and we need to serve God and worship God and recognize that he's in control of everything. It should cause our hearts to have great confidence as we recognize the, the bigness and the sovereignty of God. Now, sometimes you might hear people talking about, well, God just looks into the future. He has this thing called foreknowledge, and he can look into the future and see what will happen. Now, let's be very careful here. When we think about the word foreknowledge, we should not be thinking in the, in the sense of God looking through time to see what will happen. That's the wrong view of that word. When we see that word being used in the Bible, we should not think in, in the category of God learning something. Have you thought about it that way? If you think that God is learning something, like he didn't have all of the information that he needed 
And so what he does is he looks into the future and sees what will happen. If you, if you approach the word foreknowledge with that understanding, there is at least at some point, at least for some small, minute fraction of a second, that God didn't know everything and he had to learn something. But you see, that view of God is not the view that the Bible gives us. That would be, that would be an incorrect view of God that actually diminishes the sovereignty of God. In fact, that's a heretical, blasphemous view of God. God doesn't learn anything. God knows everything. So when we, when we hear this language, uh, beginning in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. We must, we must understand that the way that Paul is using the word foreknowledge, for those whom He foreknew, we must understand that that's a reference to God choosing to love individuals before the foundation of the world. You see, God doesn't foreknow events. God foreknows people. And so when it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, it doesn't have anything to do with God looking into the future to see the events of time. It doesn't say, for God foreknew the choices of individuals, so therefore he predestined those individuals. That's not what it says. It doesn't talk about anything to do with events. It doesn't have in view the idea of a timeline. It says, for those whom he foreknew. The focus is on actual individuals. So this is God for loving people, choosing before the foundation of the world to shower his love on guilty, wretched sinners. All throughout the Bible, we see that God is sovereign over not only the story of salvation, as we see in the opening pages of Luke, but he's sovereign over all things, including the individuals who would be chosen, who would be called, who would be the recipients of God's love. This is what we call the sovereignty of God and salvation. He saw wretched, wicked individuals who could not choose God on their very best day, who could not deserve the love of God on their very best day, and he simply chose to love them. That's what we call the free will of God. People want to focus on the free will of man, but see, the Bible focuses on the free will of God, the free will of God. Even back to the 1689 London Baptist Confession that we read earlier, if you think about the language, it, it puts the emphasis on God's free will. Do you notice that? It says, God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and things from the greatest to the least. By his perfectly wise and holy providence, to the purpose 
for which they were created. He, God, governs according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will. Do you notice that? God has free and unchangeable will. It is God's will that will be done. And his will is free. And he does according to what he desires. And what he desires will be accomplished. So, as we consider the sovereignty of God, let us remember that God is sovereign, and this is a a means by which we should be and find great comfort, but it's also a means by which we should respond in the worship of God. John MacArthur, in a sermon that he preached years ago, titled Responses to the Kingdom, Peace or Punishment, stated the following about God's sovereignty. He said, quote, A kingdom is a domain ruled by a single monarch who has absolute sovereignty, who functions with unilateral authority, whose will is non-contradictable, authoritative, absolute. It is not representative. It is not democratic. The will of the people does not rule. The will of the people virtually has no impact. The duty of the people is to submit. The duty of the people is to obey. The duty of the people is to fall under the standards and commands that are determined by the king and do whatever it is he asks. This is true of the kingdom of God, MacArthur states. He goes on and says, The kingdom of God has come, and those of us who know Christ are in it. We are in it, and the Lord Jesus Christ is our king, end quote. It's a wonderful way of describing it. When we read throughout history and see how people respond to kings and their rule, it's not that the people are you know, demanding what the king should do. No, it's the king does what he so chooses, and the people respond to the king. And this is the way that we should read the Bible. We should read the Bible and see that God is sovereign, and he is making decisions, and we must respond to him rightly. And when we read the Bible through this proper lens, it causes us to be glad in God, and it causes our hearts to respond with joy and gratitude and thanksgiving and worship. And as you think about the sovereignty of God, I hope that that is exactly how you respond to Him as well, remembering that God is in control of every event that you will experience in this day and for every day during the rest of your life. So worship Him and praise Him because He is a big God who is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. So I hope this podcast has helped you think rightly about the sovereignty of God Be encouraged and continue to study and to see, even in your devotional reading over coffee in the morning, look and see as the pages are turning how God is orchestrating all of the events of life and history, and all of it is for His glory. So I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the G3 Podcast. I want to point you to our website, g3men.org, where you can find resources and articles on various subjects, as well as the archives of this very podcast. I would also point you to the information related to the upcoming conference. It is our G3 National Conference this fall. You can find out information on our website. We also have just recently released our pre-conference on 
the subject of pastoral ministry, and we have one for both English and Spanish. You can find all of that information at our website. And of course, we look forward to seeing you next week on the G3 podcast and hopefully in person at the G3 National Conference this fall. May God bless you. We'll see you next week on the G3 podcast.